And welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today is a great show. I have with me none other than Mr. Paul Butler. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Bakari. No, I mean, your, your, your intellect, your reputation, your resume far precedes you, and we're happy to have you educate our listeners today. You know, Paul, my, my show is unique in that we start each one of the shows by having our guests walk us through the arc of their careers. And your legal career has spanned private practice and being a prosecutor to your work now as a professor, author, and commentator. Walk us through each of your career stops after you finished Harvard, and why did you decide the route of prosecutor? So to understand why I became a prosecutor, we have to start way before Harvard with me growing up in an all-Black community in Chicago, the city that Martin Luther King called the most segregated he'd ever seen. I grew up in the most nurturing and loving environment, but had experiences like one day riding my bicycle to the library, which was in the white neighborhood, literally on the other side of the tracks. When I drove in my bike across those tracks, a cop car put up alongside me. Officer, white officer lowers his window and says, hey, is that bike yours? I said, yeah, officer, is that car yours? And then I sped away. When, when I got home, Bakari, I told my mom what I'd done. My mom, who marched with Martin and took it to the streets with Malcolm, and she gave me a spanking. <laughs> Didn't I know what happened to Black boys who talked to cops like that? And it turns out she was exactly right. During this time, the Chicago Police Department was operating an off-site a place where they would take Black men and torture us to get false confessions. They did things, and this is all reported, like uh, poured, sewed up their nostrils, attached electrodes to their genitals. The city of Chicago has paid tens of millions of dollars now in settlements. So these were my experiences growing up. Uh, I became a prosecutor I went in kind of as an undercover brother, Bakari. I was hoping mm -hmm. that I could change the system from within. Mm -hmm. But what I learned, my brother, is that the system is too broken to be fixed. Oh wow. Yeah. Let, I mean, let's 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 unpack some of this because you know, I want to talk to you um a lot with you about police reform, especially in light of what we saw in Memphis. Um and you, you wrote a piece in the Washington Post recently that I recommend everyone read where you submit that had they not killed Tyree Nichols, but instead just brutalized him and he lived, that essentially what special units like this, that's essentially what special units like this do and are expected to do. Um, for listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with these special units, can you talk about how common this is amongst American police departments? And is brutality just a part of the job as long as you don't kill people? Most big city departments have specialized units that are designed to be an infusion of police resources into the, into the communities that are uh, experiencing upsurges in violence. The way it works in practice is that these, I'm going to say gangs of officers, because that's often how they're perceived in the community, as gangs, whose duty it is to prove that they're the meanest most thuggish, most violent crew on the street. 
And they do this by intimidating people in the way that they tried to intimidate Tyree Nichols. Again, he was approached by officers who were in hoodies, not uniforms, and in a plain uh, car. They weren't in a squad car. Uh, they jumped out, tried to pull him out the car, uh, pointed a stun gun at him, and he did, Mr. Nichols did what I would have done if I'd been attacked by a group of thugs. He ran away. Yeah. And when the officer, one of the officers at the scene saw him run away, he said, I hope they stomp his ass. Mm -hmm. And when they found Mr. Nichols about eight minutes later, that's exactly what they proceeded to do. And the disturbing thing about the videos that we saw is how rote the work looks. It looks like police work. As they're beating Mr. Nichols, one officer literally stops to tie his shoes. Other officers stop to catch their breath. Hmm. And we know that at the end, when Mr. Nichols was propped up against that squad car, waiting for the first responders who would not actually respond adequately, officers took pictures of Mr. Nichols, at least one officer did, like a souvenir. And certainly that harkens back to the other lynchings that we know about in the South in the 1920s, where people would take pictures, souvenirs of the victims. Hmm. I mean, just just listening to you, it just infuri it just infuriates me more. Wait, let me ask you a question, a, a policy question. So what's a mayor to do? Like I, I talk to mayors every day. I talk to uh, Frank Scott and Randall Wolf and uh, nearly daily. And crime is always their top priority. So we understand why special units may be needed. But you're telling me they're often more trouble than they're worth. And there are pl pl plenty of data points to support that. So what should mayors do here? How would you advise them? So when you think about how police solve cases, don't think about one of those cop shows where uh, 5-0 like, runs down, jumps on a guy, uh, beats him up a little, and then turns into bad guys. The way that police solve cases like homicide is what you see in law and order. They go from an office to a store to a school talking to people. And if your experience with the cops is that you were just going home from work and they rushed up on you and made you put your hands against the wall, or your grandbaby was just driving home from work and they stopped her for no reason and made her stay there for 30 minutes. If that's your experience, then you're not going to want to cooperate with officers. Ricardo, you know that when something goes down in any community, People know who did it. Yep. But you aren't going to want to cooperate with the people whose job it is to serve and protect if you feel like they're just an occupying force in your community. President Obama's commission on 21st century policing said that the problem is there's this warrior mentality in too many police departments. They think of themselves, the officers do, as us against them. What if, uh, what if the model were a guardian model that you are there to take care of, to help to serve the citizens of this community? This episode is brought to you by cars.com. 
When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. So to to go a little bit further with this policy, because we're going to fix all the world's problems this morning. That's the path we're on. (laughs) Um, Do any of these civilian oversight boards actually work? Can you do reform in a meaningful way that includes formal civil uh, civilian oversight boards? And how do they need to be fixed? Because they feel pretty toothless in the larger scheme of things. That's a great question. And part of understanding whether something works requires understanding what the problem is. And one concern about police officers is that they all too frequently aren't held accountable. So they're allowed to get away with stuff that most other workers in any other job couldn't get away with. So one metric of whether they're held accountable, one metric of whether civilian review boards work is what happens to officers who have to go through that process. And it really depends on the city. It really depends on the values of the mayor. And so Bakari, when you asked me earlier about mayors, What I tell people is, if you understand the urgency of criminal justice reform, you ought to be way more concerned about who the mayor is than who the president is. Because the mayor, you preach in my language. I say this all the time to people. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, the the mayor. She's the person who chooses the police chief, right? And so we do have this encouraging situation now, where we have mayors who are responding to the concerns that black and brown people have been expressing for years and hiring progressive police chiefs, they have to get buy-in from their rank and file. And too often that doesn't happen. So what that means both for police departments and this new phenomenon of progressive prosecutors is that if people who aren't on board, those are old school law enforcement officers. And again, if they're not along, then they need to find other jobs. So I, I ask this question often to folks um, when I talk about criminal justice reform, because it feels like there was a George Floyd window uh, where there seemed to be some openness to reform. But then, you know, we, we settled into COVID, the panic around crime happened and reform went out the window. Did we gain anything from the George Floyd window that gives you any hope for the future of police reform? I think we gained an important focus 
Well, Gary, you know, in my work at MSNBC as a legal analyst, I spent a lot of time talking about January 6th and the failure of our democratic system on that day. I much rather focus on June 6th, that same year. Uh, the New York Times reports that that day, the number of protests about the murder of George Floyd, 550 cities all over the country, really all over the world, that marked the largest social justice movement in the history of the United States. So I don't think that we can discount. People like to say, oh, defund the police, what a horrible slogan. The left just doesn't get it. Well, I'll tell you something, Bacard. I've been working for a long time with people on this idea called justice reinvestment. Justice reinvestment is the idea that if you look at the blocks in the Bronx and Manhattan and Harlem, the blocks that on that one block, the government spends a million dollars locking up the kids on that block. Rather than spend that million dollars on incarceration, how about on healthcare, on food, on job counseling, on education? That's justice reinvestment. We've been talking about that for years, not getting very far. The fund the police, exact same idea. Take that money out of the million dollar blocks, put it in social programs. That slogan, first time I heard it was at a march, at a protest in June, 2020. Last comment, Bakari, in August of 2020, cities all across the country were defunding the police. And obviously that didn't mean that they were taking all of the money away from police departments and putting it in other resources, but they did that. They took money out of the, uh, uh, the cop system in schools and made it go to better educational purposes. And so I don't know if hope is the right word, but I'm encouraged by that momentum. I really do think this is a, a movement. It's not a, a moment. So it's going to take a while. Uh, but that's what we do as Black people in the United States. We keep on keeping on. Where have you seen progress from Washington and the Biden administration on the police reform front? And how much do you think they've prioritized this issue thus far? I have to say, I'm very disappointed by President Biden's decision to retain the old school 1901 outdated criminal code in D.C. Uh, our criminal code was the worst in the country, one of the worst, according to many legal scholars. And McCurry, I was on a commission that revised the code from A to Z. The city council unanimously passed our revised code. Uh, the mayor vetoed it, but the city council unanimously overrode her veto. And then the bill went to Congress, and in 30 years, our city has never had uh, Congress actually overturn one of our laws. They had that power, uh, but we successfully forwarded off what are usually right-wing conservative challenges. Uh, this year, there was a right-wing conservative challenge to our new code, and President Biden went along with it. And Bakari, we could go over the reasons that he offered, but at the end of the day, it's politics. It sounds a lot like 
uh, what then candidate Biden was crowing about with regard to the crime bill of 1994 uh, with our criminal code now in D.C. He was saying, oh, the sentences aren't tough enough. Well, that's what he thought in 1994. He later called his support for that bill a huge mistake. And I think he understands now that you don't solve problems like carjacking by saying, okay, well, maybe if we lock them up for 40 years rather than 30 years, that'll make a difference, because we know that's not going to make a difference. So this is all politics for the president, for the many Democrats who supported him. Um, and I don't think that that's encouraging in terms of where we go, because that's too frequently what happens. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about the January 6th committee. I know you love to talk about it. I watch you talk about it um, and getting Trump uh, locked up, as most people want to see happen for that event. I'm not sure it will. But why has it taken this Department of Justice so long to do what many people think they need to do? And what did the January 6th committee actually accomplish? Well, I think the January 6th committee is the reason why there's likely to be a federal prosecution of Donald Trump. What the commission did, again, we're thinking about the investigators and former prosecutors who work with the House, is to put on a, a production, a miniseries over uh, nine or 10 weeks, mainly in the summer, that was riveting. <laughs> All these odd characters doing these things like jumping up and down on Nancy Pelosi's death desk that seemed surreal. Mm -hmm. So it was must watch TV. And what it said is that it wasn't just like a day of people wilding out, but it was a serious assault on our democracy that was fomented by the former president of the United States. And so that created a sense that something had to be done. At the same time, as we hear are hearing from the committee about January 6th in Mar-a-Lago, we're learning that the president apparently willfully 
hoarding documents that belong to the government, including top secret, highly classified documents. And so uh, another case happens. So the Justice Department is slow, especially under the leadership of a person who was an, a former appellate judge. I don't think Merrick Garland knows how to move quickly. <laughs> but when we're looking at what we know about the grand jury under the guidance of special counsel Jack Smith, they're acting like a grand jury that's uh, going to charge somebody way high up with crimes. I, I uh, like Jack Smith a lot. Um... Can you talk about the political calculus here that Merrick Garland may be engaging in, namely the idea that if candidate Trump becomes nominee Trump, the DOJ doing their jobs and prosecuting him could activate an already activated Republican base? I know the DOJ doesn't say this, but is this a part of the consideration? What's your thinking about what's happening here? Well, Merrick Garland is supposed to ignore the politics, so he will never have a conversation with Biden about this is what I'm doing in the Trump investigation and this is why all of those decisions will be independent at the same time he's allowed to notice that there's a presidential election coming up and that the target of a federal investigation is the likely challenger one of the likely challengers to his boss so to resolve that situation he appointed a special counsel that's jack smith who will make a recommendation to the attorney general. If the attorney general doesn't go along with the recommendation, then he has to explain to Congress why. So I think he's the attorney general has effectively insulated himself from the formal politics. I don't think that he had to appoint a special counsel, but in retrospect, it's not a bad idea. Man, there's a lot going on, and we already know. I mean, Fanny. Uh, down in, in Georgia, I think, has a legitimate case against uh, the president as well. Last question for you today is, will we see any members of Congress that were involved in January 6th prosecuted? If not, can you explain why? The answer is no, <laughs> we will not. One reason is that the House investigation, which again is the reason I think that the Justice Department is looking at criminal charges so seriously, the House investigation focused on the president, the former president, like a laser. And their obvious sensitivities with why it would have been more difficult for them to investigate other members of Congress. But, you know, I think based on what we've seen and what's been reported, uh, some of those folks might have some exposure as well. So if Congress isn't going to investigate them and the Justice Department isn't going to investigate them, that sounds like maybe the president might not ultimately be above the law, but some high-ranking Republicans in Congress might still be. Hmm. Oh, good. My brother, it's a pleasure. I'm glad you joined us. Tell people how they can follow you on social media so they can keep up with what you're doing. So Law Prof Butler on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter. So hit me up. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Butler. Always a pleasure, my brother. I'll tell you, this gonna be 